uh, percentage of, equi- of equity that Lambda would have versus a university institution. There's actually a database online that basically states the different universities' um, equity that, that they take. So, for instance, MIT might take 100%. Imperial College London might take 50%. And in the state space, um, wow. I think... 100% of the entire flow goes to these universities. Hello and welcome everybody to the Clique Podcast. Today we have a very interesting project here with us. This project uh, has been something of a personal interest to me as I have been uh, looking into the project for some time now. And uh, I think in my opinion, it's trying to solve a very critical problem uh, in DSI. And to kind of discuss this uh, problem, uh, we have the core contributor from this project, uh, Eleanor Davis. Hi, Eleanor. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well, thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you. <laughs> How are you doing? Doing very well. Thank you for joining us today. I would like to, you know, you know, start this on a bit of a lighter note. Uh, can you give uh, the listeners an understanding about yourself and about the project? And then we can take it from there. Yeah, sure. So um, where should I start? So LabDAO, what, what, what are we doing? So we're building an online research institution for scientists. So in short, um, we're building the tools that enable scientists to do their work completely online. And so as for me, my background, um, so I kind of initially started out working at a consultancy that did so advisory services for investment, uh, large to mid cap, as well as sovereign wealth funds. Um, on a political and regulatory level um, in healthcare and the life sciences. So this kind of gave me like a real sort of primer as to how investment works specifically for research and development, also on the really like kind of larger scale. And um, it just, I mean, I just saw the fact that um, the the way in which the system is funded is completely broken. And um, that's also when I sort of fell down the DSI rabbit hole as well. Um, a good friend of mine um, sent me an article by Sarah Hamburg, A16Z, um, would recommend that to anybody who is looking to um, get a launchpad into DSI. And so that's when I came across LabDAO and a couple of other DAOs as well. LabDAO introduced me, interested me um, in particular. So I was there for a fly on the wall uh, for a couple of months. So following the consultancy, I was working at um, ODX. So that's Ondex um, Investment Fund in fund operations and was basically raising, deploying capital, doing all the due diligence for the startup accelerator companies and then doing the portfolio management. Um, Sadly, it didn't last for too long. The um, the startup bubble, as we all know, has not been doing so well. (laughs) But um, it was a good segue for me to kind of follow my passion and interest in DSI. was introduced to Nicholas, who's the founder of Labdao. And um, I mean, here we are. <laughs> so what exactly were the issues that you'd seen during your time uh, handling all these investments that uh, connected you with what Nicholas was doing at Labdao? Um, so the issues were that, um, so basically you'd see all of this investment going into, for instance, like treatments for um rare disease or genetic disease or you know the likes of diabetes what have you but nothing was really i mean it, it all seemed to be very much on the the finances the the regulators the what what the what's happening in terms of politics um and it wasn't really in terms of 
it, I mean, it was it was really far removed from the actual laboratory, the R and D side. And it just felt to me as though the power structures in which science research is done, and also the way in which human longevity is managed, is totally out of work. And I mean, maybe it sounds incredibly idealistic, <laughs> but um, I found I find that DSI really kind of gives scientists um, the power again to manage their IP rather than it being kind of sold to a university or a, a company or you know corporate that they basically just have kind of more agency over it so I mean a couple of thre- a couple of threads that are kind of going on really but that's kind of why I'm um, I feel so yeah I feel this way about uh design what that does doing I find that uh, pretty interesting because uh, what DSA at its heart really enables is it breaks down the uh, boundaries that you know uh, regulations provided by each jurisdiction has kind of created. I mean, you take a look at the way science is kind of operating right now. Uh, you have this uh, unhealthy reliance on IPs. You can understand that from probably a farmer's aspect that okay, maybe there's a lot of uh, money being put into developing these sort of early stage uh, treatments. So uh, you need to have that sort of IP, but then. When you have every startup possible trying to uh, create that sort of patterns, what happens is that uh, the ability for developed, sorry, developing countries to kind of get access to these sort of treatments is hampered. I mean, you take a look at uh, the way the entire talent flow kind of flows through uh, because of this. I mean, the, when, you t- when you take a look at the U.S. itself, you know, you had DARPA kind of funding most of the uh, research that's kind of taken place over there, and because U.S. has always had this sort of resources from the beginning, what's happened is that, uh, you know, developing countries don't get that share. A lot of, you see brain drain that happens across these countries to the U.S. because they have the resources, they have the IP. And in that aspect, you know, there's so much of uh, inequality that takes place there. And uh, DSI kind of brings, uh, you know, together all these scientists from across the globe to be able to uh, research on all these issues that you know you don't find legally that maybe it may not be uh, possible in a jurisdiction. Maybe you don't have the resources, but now uh, you're able to bring them all together, the capital, the talent towards all these things. And uh, coming to LabDA, what does uh, LabDA in specific, specific kind of enable uh, that other DSI projects don't? What I mean, in short, what's, it, what's the overview of LabDA? So LabDA basically um, democratizes access for to, for, for scientists to access tools so specifically in dry lab and wet lab infrastructure so on the compute side we partnered with protocol labs and what this basically does is um through this application called Backallow, um it allows scientists to run the compute from the literally from a chrome browser from anywhere in the world you don't have to be in a university or have access to a computer cluster you there's uh, I think up to over a petabyte of data. Um, so it's quite similar to AWS, except you can access this for free from your browser and you can basically, through lab teams, form a team around a project. Of course, identity, proof humanity is verified in the background. I think it's also something that's important to note. But you can you, you have full access to Tinker on your research project without having to think about or too, too much about uh, capital. And there's also, you know, so we have access to um, now to Science Exchange and Chromatic, which CRO Marketplace 
So now scientists also have access to over 3,500 laboratories from, you know, from their laptop. Although we don't touch the IP side, it's like all the tools that are required in order to, you know, in the in the journey up to that side. So it's just kind of Web3 infrastructure, doing this on your laptop um, instead of having to rely on a university or whatever academic credentials. And then it's just kind of democratizing, accelerating progress in the life sciences, really. Uh, so the way I see it, you have... Uh, you've, you're kind of focusing on creating a network that connects uh, any sort of researcher, be it a student, to uh, a proper scientist across the globe to be able to access these uh, laboratories. And you're focusing it purely on life sciences. Are there other verticals that you're looking at? So life sciences is the the place where we're kind of focusing at the moment. That's mainly because of Nicholas's background. So he's a computational biologist, thinks Harvard. Uh, Broden Institute and um, a lot of projects that we're associated with in the DSite ecosystem more are more longevity biotech. However, that's not to say that the, this type of infrastructure is um, applicable to other types of scientific research. So, for instance, New Atlantis uh, working on methagenomics. Um, I'm not sure if you, if you come across them, but I would uh, strongly recommend uh, looking into what they're doing because it's really cool. Um, so it's from a climate change point of view but also marine biodiversity we also so we also partnered with gain forest uh in the last gitcoin grants round and that was uh so satellite imaging analytics for rainforest regeneration using the same type of infrastructure um talent dow was another one uh, project lion that was um so measuring the uh, language that's used on Discord servers in order to ensure community health. So that's also quite important for DAO governance. So really it has its applications in a lot of different domains, but um, I guess you have to sort of start small and then kind of move adjacent. The way I see it, uh, you've kind of partnered with all these other DAOs too. I think in short, you're kind of incubating these projects also in a way. And uh, that too with Talenda, with New Atlantis and Game Forest. I've noticed that... Uh, Okay, these are all your, your partnerships with these projects, but how exactly are you enabling this uh, network of laboratories, especially uh, if you're not enabling the IP side of things, uh, what exactly are you enabling? If, I, if I'm if i a student or a researcher, what exactly am I getting access to it? What does the workflow look like? Sure, and that's a really good question because it kind of sort of like clarifies what LabDAO does and what the value proposition is. <laughs> um, important for any user uh, when joining LabDAO. So first off, um, there's support in order to safely manage funds. So scientists, on average, spend fifty percent of their time applying for grants. We help scientists do that um, in the grant writing part and in the the campaign strategy specific this is so this is more kind of web3 directed there was a, a campaign sort of strategy going on with uh, gitcoin but there are also other grants out there like methuse of a fund so what we do is set up a multi-sig help scientists set up the metamask because actually to anybody outside of the web3 ecosystem it's pretty complicated and not everyone i mean to people who are in web3 also find that tough so it's not only that but there's the legal support aspect as well so um how do you spin up like how do you spin up a DAO? How do you legally wrap this in order to safely manage the funds? Because that's another really important side. So if you decide, okay, maybe this is ready for venture funding, 
um, would be able to support that too. And then there's also the part in which the IP in like how the IP is managed after that. So there's like a legal advisory point there. So we're partnering with Lexdal on that on that point. There's the also also the access to the community. So being able to build hype, having PR from the LabDAO platform, um, graphics being on the website, having like a subdomain on LabDAO. Um, there's so there's the also the computational tools as well. So not only can scientists sort of gather around a project in the community um, and have that kind of platform, but have access to the tools as well as I described earlier. So you have uh, you know the access to the community itself, uh, then the broad the network that you access through the, uh, the laboratories. If I'm not if I'm right, it's the lab exchange protocol that you're talking about. Uh, how exactly? I mean, what is the sort of information that's being passed through here? I mean, uh, if you're not focusing on getting our proper IP, uh, are you kind of focusing on enabling uh, research before the IP is created and? Uh, how exactly is that facilitated by the community? Because uh, the way the DSI world is right now, I mean, even though it's very nascent, uh, but the uh, you have Web3 people who are kind of interested like the rest of us, but we don't know a clue about biotech. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you have to kind of bring in all these people who are kind of experts in their domains to come in and be a part of this community and enable that sort of exchange. How are you going to facilitate that within the broader marketplace is a question. Um, so actually, it's something which we're building out right now. So um, it's also something that we're kind of working out as we're building the infrastructure. So Nicholas has the vision. And then so my side and the team side is like, how do we build and execute on this vision? And what infrastructure is available to us? And how is this actually working in reality? So the exchange is something where so the vision is for scientists who are working on projects to host something almost like a fiber or a type of marketplace where a scientist who's in the lab ecosystem has their credentials also verified so that they're able to work on the project. So they're able to take that job for a bounty, be it USDC or lab token. Lab token is yet to be launched, so more, more likely to be USDC. Do the job and then sort of rewarded for their contribution. So that's how the exchange protocol would work in theory. And we're kind of working on all the sort of Web3, MetaMask, Web3, Auth, Auth, Zero Knowledge Protocol type stuff in the background as well. You mentioned that there's a issue of uh, the educational on-ramp because, you know, MetaMask is stuff and all of that. But at the same time, DSI has all these potential. What's been the broader feedback that you've gotten from scientists in, you know, accessing all these uh, communities because of the issues around Web3 and even the financialization of the token uh, kind of uh, creating that sort of chaos within Web3. What's been the broader stance from the scientists in general? The main stance is that there's just almost like a sense of relief that somebody's actually doing something about the way in which science research is done because um, I'm sure most scientists will agree it's it's broken, especially from the, the grant funding side. So even though, you know, these tools are still being built and are in beta and we have sort of users testing them at the moment, they're not quite ready to scale. There's just sort of like a, um, yeah, quite quite an excitement in the, in the community really to kind of get started and using the tools, which I'm also really excited about just to see this level of enthusiasm. So, I mean, in terms of the, the financial grant funding aspect, I'd say one point uh, to bring in, which would be quite interesting is um, dealing with the volatility in the crypto markets and 
not only like having to do the whole MetaMask setup and all the just just managing all that and doing the multi-sig and all that stuff, um, but also knowing how much the a grant is going to be worth. Um, <laughs> depending on the, the type of cryptocurrency denominations in. Um, so I think another value proposition there for LabDAO is that, um, you know, once we we have a good sort of user base for the tools then to start sort of rolling out um, LabDAO-focused grants in USDC, which is more sort of stable coin, and just sort of using that as like a, well, giving scientists a launch pad in order to do their research. So it, it depends on market conditions, really. I hope, I've, I hope that answered your question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, across verticals, I mean, be it DeFi or NFTs, uh, it's that price volatility is something that you just can't escape. But then if you want to enable that sort of network of, of a community that can thrive, uh, can take active ownership of what's going on within Lambda, you do need that token. Balancing that, those various interests out is going to be a massive challenge itself. I mean, uh, DSA in general, you take a look at VitaDAO, they have around $6 million worth of uh, market cap for their token. I mean, if they're on top of Uniswap, the ability for broader uh, Web3 participants besides uh, you know, key players like probably your Pfizer Ventures or whoever is a major entity that's willing to take part in the governance. There's just not a, uh, an easier on-ramp for the broader Web3 community to participate. And a lot of these things should be actively looked at to be able to enable that sort of democratization of what a certain DSI community can offer, you know, besides your uh, entities, you know, for general, for the general Web3 audience, for participants who are from developing countries, uh, making sure that that sort of access is kind of uh, critical that way. And uh, what I wanted to understand was that uh, you have community that you're looking to uh, sort of uh, attract, that is your life sciences community. You want to attract these people into the community, but then how do you see uh, people like us, you know, the Web3 people who may not understand DSI well, but we want to be able to contribute to DSI. I mean, uh, I don't recall the name of this particular person, Brett Cornick, I guess, Impact Finance. Essentially, he came, kind of came out with uh, an article saying why Web3 people are kind of necessary because it gives us the ability to kind of participate in funding these sort of uh, biotech or any sort of nascent science projects which are kind of uh, withheld from us. It could be also participating in the governance and uh, taking part in the rounds of these things which are never really accessible to us because of these jurisdictions. What in your op uh, opinions are the benefits of Web3 people kind of participating with Lambda and also because you've worked in biotech also, you understand the sector well. What are the limitations of having Web3 community participate in such a specialized um, vertical as biotech and life sciences? To answer the first part of your question then, um, I think it's important to have Web3 people in uh, the DSI ecosystem just because you have an understanding as to how the infrastructure works and that's probably the most important part of it. That's what makes DSI, DSI, you know. Um, and also just stop having having the platform as well. So being able to, you know, e even use the network 
um, to spread the word about DSI, you know, it's but nobody's going to know what DSI is unless people are talking about it. And something like science is it's like a public good. It, it, it impacts everyone. So, you know, everyone has to hopefully has health insurance or, you know, you go to the hospital or you go and get a doctor appointment. So it's something which impacts everyone. I think that, so yeah, that's, that's kind of like a really good sort of bridge. And I think as well, it's, um, it's something which is uh, pretty interesting and new also in terms of like from an investment standpoint it's something which nobody's really come across before so obviously web3 people are the first people to come to it and um i think in terms of getting involved um less specific on the science side but i mean i'm also not a scientist and i'm in lab down <laughs> so there are, <laughs> so there are plenty of roles that um web3 people can get involved in so I mean, from community management to social media, PR, um, there's actually a lot of um, DSI projects that are in need of good PR. Um, so if you're, if you're great at that, then you already have a head start. <laughs> um, there's the operations side, the finance side as well. Um, so like clean um, financial management, not only of what's coming in and what's coming out, cash flow, but also grants. And in Labdao's case and um, VitaDAO, Molecule, BioXYZ, um, managing funds for you know, projects that are live. Um, so I think, you know, so anybody who has like a scientist, uh, sorry, a financial background, you can easily take those skills into DSI. And it's also such a nascent space anyway that... I, I may not be a biotech expert, but I can do... I can actually teach a scientist how to use a MetaMask. At least, okay, I have that much value. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in, in that regard, you know, probably we can all do a bit there, you know. Even though we'll need a lot of patience, but we'll all get there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, you know, um, you have to note as well that you know, everybody uses the healthcare system. That is science. And there are also, you know, the likes of patient advocacy groups that are sort of starting to form their own DAOs. So Fleming Protocol is, is a really good example of this where patients actually, you know, use the funding in a DAO to find mm -hmm. cures versus kind of going to big corporates and, um, you know, not exactly scientists, but it's something that impacts everyone like it's, it's, a, it's a public good it should be a public good uh, but uh, i mean what's interesting is that uh, you've always had this sort of barriers that were restricted between the general public because a you needed that sort of specialization but uh, now we are actively experimenting with what happens when you do get that sort of people involved across these frontiers maybe uh, when it comes to the broad research itself, it may not be necessary to get actively involved. With. Let's leave it to the experts to get that done. But uh, the broader uh, social layer, uh, the aspect around the community, governance, finance, you you do need people for that. And uh, the DAO space has a lot of fantastic talent in that. And uh, bridging that gap with scientists who may not have that sort of operational expertise or finance, it's a pretty good value add across the globe. You, know? uh, you can have that sort of democratization of talent and capital coming together. All you need is to have a clarity of a, of a pitch to just make that happen and just kind of set it through. And what LabDAO is doing with the sort of workflows you're enabling, I mean, uh, creating that sort of marketplace for uh, the broader life sciences data itself, creating the whole uh, teams around it to be able to uh, create that sort of research and uh, also having 
the fund which kind of incubates all these for teams are pretty uh, cool to see we just want to dive into the labda project in general i wanted to understand mm-hmm. uh, the lab exchange protocol is your network that connects these labs uh, and enables that sort of data transfer how do you ensure that provenance and the integrity of that research is maintained across uh, the data transfer uh, network i mean because uh, you see there's so much paranoia among players to protect their ip to protect their research and uh, how do you ensure that level of integrity uh, for an open network like this so i mean that's something that we're sort of working through at the moment so what is the best and most frictionless way in order to ensure that and i mean the short answer is we are kind of exploring different options we don't fully have one single solution yet there are a lot of different sort of zero knowledge identity type of um technologies that we're trying that we're trialing so um web3 auth is um another type of technology um i think um, you, you might want to double check this um, <laughs> um <laughs> but uh that's kind of one part in terms of ensuring proof of humanity but as community members sign up to labda and also as we are sort of starting to um scale things up a bit in terms of getting people project there is also you know the compulsory question to provide the orchid id or the google scholar id just so that you, know, you can really sort of kyc any scientists that are working on these projects so in the actual discord server itself scientists community members are free to do their work anonymously because you know some scientists have um academic affiliations and it's probably better um to work under a pseudonym but um i guess yeah one part of ensuring that um the work that's created on the exchange protocol is legit <laughs> really or re- you know is done by a reputable source is sort of through this type of mechanism but again you know don't have all the answers and uh, just doing the most we can with the information that is available and um also if anybody who is listening or if you as well um know of any type of technology that's used outside of DSI to kind of ensure this then I would love to talk oh absolutely i mean DSI itself is kind of nascent and we've just had meddow itself you know what they do is they kind of uh, have uh, knowledge request frameworks that are set up to kind of have any sort of request that's made by a patient or a medical provider the flow of data across that network will be kind of developed by meddow and even they don't have all the answers so uh, mm-hmm. i think with time itself and you involve the broader uh, web3 community we do can uh, find the answers for that what exactly is the end game for lab exchange protocol though i mean you take a look at how the broader research networks function within these jurisdictions what exactly uh, are the benefits that was uh, the end game that you can see for scientists in general you know so i mean the exchange protocol is sort of one aspect of the tool set that we offer scientists so i mean so initially as we started out we had the impression that the exchange protocol would be the the thing which is you know the, the key product but as we're sort of working out the whole you know product market fit and the the value proposition the exchange protocol is sort of a part of that so i'll go into that in a little bit of detail so it basically enables scientists to 
work on projects from their laptop and without needing to have any, well, without kind of encountering the barriers by not having an affiliation with a university, for instance, and being able to work on these types of projects and competent scientists and being able to work for bounties. So it's kind of like a more project by project type of working. So I guess it's sort of a different, it takes into account the the future of work type of argument. Um, So that's the exchange protocol. But the grand vision for LabDAO in general is just to kind of, it's just to hopefully change the way in which scientific research is done with the the goal of expediting um, expediting scientific research and producing more cures for life threatening diseases. I mean, if you if you look at Eroom's law, there's enough evidence there that states that um, we're sort of going through this, this great stagnation. So that really is the 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 grand. Uh, mission really just to a enable scientists to do what they're good at because the the, the talent is there it's just the way in which it's done which is just so heavily bottlenecked and b it's just to improve improve people's quality of life that itself is a a pretty phenomenal ideal to work towards i mean uh you enable this sort of data flow across developing countries itself who may not have access it's like uh I mean, across life sciences in general, you know, you take a look at COVID that's kind of affected India. What enabled us to have uh, speedy access to drugs was you were able to have generics of AstraZeneca and Pfizer, not Pfizer, AstraZeneca and probably uh, one more, the Russian vaccine. Uh, You were able to have generics made very quickly and that was uh, kind of manufactured for billions of people. But what if, you know, uh, something that's not, that's not mainstream, but then you have uh, nascent tech, like for example, hair dog. Uh, I mean, it's not cancer, but, uh, you know, uh, anything that's kind of affecting uh, hair loss or something, treatments for that. Uh, you may not have readily available uh, treatments over here, but uh, with this sort of open access IP, uh, you can kind of uh, enable faster access to treatments that way. And that's pretty neat. I mean, I know that Labda doesn't involve in IP, but then we may see some broader communities that can enable that sort of uh, deployment of IP soon in the future also. But then it brings to me one question. You have this sort of the flow of information that passes between the labs and the scientists. I mean, if there's a scientist sitting in India and the lab sitting all the way in London, how exactly are you uh, kind of preventing any sort of fraud or if there's any sort of dispute, is it primarily going to be between the scientist and the uh, lab or uh, will you have any sort of processes set up to kind of ease things out um so in terms of processes this is sort of in the idea in the ideation phase because um the token isn't launched yet and this is something which would be baked into the token um smart contract which is arbitration services so any type of legal dispute um that arises will be sort of dealt with but the the specifics and the technicalities are also yet to be sort of discovered and I guess a lot of it as well will only kind of arise as it's being used. So this is um important information that we need to take in as we as we build. Uh I remember reading your um uh, your docs, you mentioned that you have escrow services that uh uh, you would kind of uh, have, you know, you would have both the parties be involved in. And if you're a lab, you would have to kind of stake some lab tokens 
to be able to participate in this trade and in the case of any sort of issues or any sort of malfeasance done by that particular lab the token is kind of cut off uh, so there's an incentive for labs to stay true to the uh, trade itself you know so it kind of uh, allows for that broad i mean easier integrity of trades across uh, globes also because they are putting in that token and you don't want to lose that um in that case it's pretty neat uh, you're kind of developing the tokens for that also but then you stepping back you mentioned that you have the broad uh, lab teams also kind of working are they complementary to the lab exchange or uh, what exactly are the functionalities of lab teams in the dao yes i mean you kind of think of a lab team as a micro dao so imagine the lab dao discord right and then you got the channels on the side and a lab team would be say small protein docking or um you know neuro neuroscience or um knowledge graph which is another great example of something that we're working on at the moment so a lab team is a team of people who have come together be it offline or via the discord and are basically have basically been curated and will be launching a project or are essentially seeking services from labdao so that's kind of how our lab team would work it's more sort of within the community so essentially the uh, lab protocol that that network you're talking about the labs are essentially these teams exactly. that's what yeah. you're saying yeah okay yeah, okay exactly. okay so that means so, so the the laboratories that you mentioned earlier that uh, are outside that are in IRL uh, you would kind of Uh, kind of on ramp them into these teams or uh, are they separate entities um so they're separate entities uh, to start off with so a lab is like a in it in a lab dog context is a web lab so you get dry labs you get wet labs and they have web labs so thank you for also bringing that up as well because lab team there's a little bit of a confusion with nomenclature so i think it's important to get that sort of ironed out i think uh, in terms of consistency as we sort of like bring the project to market in terms of onboarding laboratory services so i guess this would be quite similar in terms of what we have um with science exchange and chromatic in terms of scientists can rent laboratory space um for example opencell was doing that and that can sort of be a part of the labdao offering but again it is something that we're you know we're researching it hasn't been built yet but it's within the the vision in terms of what we can offer for scientists that makes sense so uh, the broad lab teams in general uh, they are teams that come in and they are kind of uh, within that life sciences vertical and i remember seeing your air table i think you have around 15 teams including the lab fund so all these teams are they these are like kind of like subdaws right i mean essentially uh, they are kind of united towards the vision of labda but they are semi autonomous teams that come in to kind of produce that sort of research and uh, kind of play their role in the marketplace also how exactly has the broad go- i mean the thing is you have these subdaws that kind of are participating in the network and they should also kind of do their bit for the labda vision so uh, sometimes what happens is that these subdaws tend to have uh, kind of go through with their own agenda at times uh, they may not really if they don't have that sort of uh, alignment with the broad dao vision itself you tend to see uh, these sort of guilds splitting apart especially uh, when you have the token launch done and when things kind of get succeeded how do you ensure that sort of alignment between 
the lab teams towards the broad lab division? Um, I think in terms of ensuring alignment, it needs to have a degree of so similarity to entrepreneur first, for instance, because the business models are quite similar in terms of entrepreneur first being so supporting a founder or two founders or a founding team in finding you know what they are wanting to build and labdao is quite similar in this regard in terms of supporting scientists providing initial funding um and then you know being able to also act on the south side for instance maybe for visadao um so i think you know as we sort of start to scale this and start to learn as well in terms of where things go wrong where things go right what we did right there and where we could do better perhaps one element of this as web two as it sounds would be simply signing a term sheet <laughs> okay uh, you do you have these term sheets that are signed across uh, that's a good way the problem with uh, DAOs in general is that they don't have these sort of contracts coming into place so uh, the ability for these sort of uh, sub DAOs in general to kind of walk away there's no barrier it's completely easy to walk away and create any sort of malfeasance and kind of having these sort of agreements maybe made by smart contracts probably having your token involved i mean getting the if you want to start a sub DAO, you probably need to uh, kind of have some stake in the uh, lab DAO so that your incentive in the broader DAO vision is also there and you cannot just go rogue uh, too quickly plus you can have that sort of agreement set in place where if you are looking to turn fully autonomous then uh, you need to have that sort of transition period where a team can come in and all those clauses that just don't make it easy uh, to walk away. Even though it's a DAO, it need not be a chaos. You know, I think uh, there should be some decent amount of rights and rules that should be set. And that shouldn't be stopped. Uh, that shouldn't stop you from calling it a DAO in general, just because you have basic contracts and rules. Um, in terms of, you know, when you compare, for instance, the uh, percentage of, equi of equity that uh, LabDAO would have versus a university institution. There's actually a database online um, that basically states the different universities' um, equity that, that they take. So, for instance, MIT might take 100%. Um, Imperial College London might take 50%. And in this database, um, wow. I think probably had to link this uh in the notes because the name is just uh completely <laughs> slipped out of my mind um but if you compare <laughs> the equity that labda would take versus general universities it's actually significantly lower so i think that's another unique value proposition unique value proposition as well that would incentivize scientists to want to you know, sort of stay within the ecosystem 100 percent of uh, the entire flow goes to these universities. Why do researchers stick with these people in the first place? Is it because of the reputation involved? I guess it's having the the credentials of being affiliated with a really good university. So I mean, you know, if you if you have Stanford on your roster, MIT, Harvard, Oxford, then you know it it it, it looks good. You know, it's 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 going to do something for you. Um, but it's just, I guess it's just uh, you know one of the the flaws in terms of that that kind of builds into the the greater frustration as to why more scientists are looking towards DSI as another way to do their research. 
that itself kind of nailed the whole <laughs> podcast wow <laughs> 100% of the yeah. equity just goes and I mean, you just open up the network, you open up the ease of access to these things and you just bring down the equity. I think you can see a lot of crazy amount of talent just pop in just by putting this one fact out there. <laughs> yeah, so wow. I'm just posting the link in the chat. It's called spinout.fyi and there's a, a database um, that was put together of which universities had like spinouts and the amount of uh, the, the number of equity that was taken what sort of field of therapeutics is in. Um, so it's, yeah, that's also another part that kind of goes into the, uh, the argument for DSI. Oh, that's pretty neat. And um, allowing for uh, scientists to get a broad ownership of that research that's been done um, while ensuring, okay, you know, uh, a, a reasonable equity is also given to the Dow Treasury in general for facilitating that sort of uh, research. It's also pretty neat. And now, that Dow Treasury, whatever revenues that come in from the lab protocol exchange and uh, uh, whatever is being facilitated through the lab teams, it goes to the Treasury. You mentioned that you have something called the lab fund. What exactly are you looking to incubate? And what exactly is the status quo that uh, made you want to start this whole lab fund in the first place? So the lab fund is kind of the last part of what LabDAO offers. So it's teams, tools, funds. We've spoken about the first two. What the fund is, is the more sort of EF type of model where if a yeah, so if a if a project is wanting to kind of take this a bit more seriously um, and also receive the support that is offered by LabDAO, access to the community, legal incorporation, um, scientific tools, plus, you know, grant support, funding, being able to access this as a whole sort of package. And so w where the lab fund comes in is LabDAO giving the grant, Spark grant, to the project. What LabDAO do, does is give grants to micro DAOs and then obviously sort of take the, the equity component, however, is a lot lower there compared to other institutions have research to back this up so spin out FYI is a good place to start but of course you know as i've been saying and will continue to <laughs> drill down on this it is also something that we're <laughs> still figuring out um so that's kind of how it works in terms of investing and then sort of having a more long-term outlook in terms of revenue generation and then there's the sort of tokenomics treasury as well. Closing remarks, uh, Eleanor, what would you like to tell the listeners about LabDAO, like the roadmap? Uh, what uh, lies ahead for you guys? So the year has come to an end. What all have you kind of achieved? Can you, if you can sum that up. And what are you looking forward to in 2023? That will be a good segue. Yeah, for sure. So as we're wrapping up the year, we are going to hopefully get the um, the minimum product of the exchange uh, up and running and open source so people in the community will be able to access it and also learn a bit more about what LabDAO's tools do and sort of see this in action. We'll also be able to uh, provide the wet lab laboratory services via science exchange and chromatics. So if you do, if you are interested in accessing these services, please do reach out. In terms of 2023, we are preparing for the token launch. So this will be quite an exciting event, but also a lot of, yeah, a lot of preparation that goes into that um, beforehand. So 
building the product and then also becoming more decentralized as well as we go. I think the token launch in itself is probably the most exciting point to um, to, to end this on because, um, you know, it's, it's progress and uh, it's what we like to see, especially in the DeFi ecosystem. Uh, can we see Brilliant. an airdrop for the Click Podcast listeners anytime soon? <laughs> Stay tuned and uh, keep following the LabDAO Twitter and also join the community because um, that's kind of where everything's happening, really. Yeah, thank you, Eleanor. This was uh, brilliant. So where can the listeners follow? Where can uh, they see the good work of uh, LabDAO? Would you like to? And what other projects do you think in DSAP uh, space that you think are super interesting and the listeners should kind of follow them? Abhishek, um, most importantly, where do people follow Eleanor? I mean, you've been, <laughs> yeah. you've been a fantastic con- fantastic convo with you so far. We want to kind of see what, what else you've got to say. Where do people follow you also? Um, so you can follow me on Twitter. It's Gwei underscore Sha. So Gweisha. It's a, there's a, a double pun there because you have Gwei, Gwei Sha, and then Sha256. Uh, you can follow Labdow on Twitter as well. Um, you probably find a lot more action on the Labdow Twitter than mine. <laughs> um, and labdow.xyz is where you can find out more and join the Discord. We are also uh, undergoing a new rebranding, which will be launched at the end of this year as well. So stay tuned for that. In terms of other design wow, projects okay. you're involved with, um, <laughs> Knowledge Graph Guild is uh, super interesting. So they're basically figuring out how to how to explore scientific questions and data. Uh, follow VisaDAO because they're doing some really interesting stuff there. Um, and they also did the uh, IPNFT transfer um, not that long ago, which is super interesting. And New Atlantis as well, as I mentioned um, previously. It's a really interesting project to um, get involved with. Absolutely. Can't wait to track all these projects. Uh, it's been an amazing convo, Eleanor. Uh, we would love to have you on for future episodes down the road. Listeners, thank you so much for following in for this one. Stay tuned for this and see you everyone. Bye.